Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Titus chapter 1, if you will. Titus 1 this morning. As we continue in our study of a healthy church. The book that speaks so much to the health of a church. And so for our church, uh, this is one of those texts, though, that it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty blunt. It, it doesn't pull punches. It, 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 um, sometimes we don't really know what to do with it. Within the context of Titus and the health of a church, <coughs> we're going to learn today that a church embraces and must understand the importance of healthy conflict. The importance of healthy conflict. Now, there are some people who love conflict and confrontation. There are some people, man, if there's a, if there's a fight, they're jumping in. Even if they don't know anybody, they're in, right? Picking sides, throwing punches. Some people are absolutely fearful of confrontation, of conflict. They'll avoid it at all cost. You might, be, you might know where you sit in that mix. In a biblical sense, confrontation can be healthy. Conflict can be healthy. Conflict absolutely will be necessary in accordance with the Word of God. Now we do understand that the Proverbs tells us that only by pride, only by pride cometh contention. That it's not a spiritual gift to be a contentious person. It's evidence of pride in our life. If contention is something we have always in our life, and boy, everything seems to be full of conflict and confrontation and, and, and tense conversations and tense moments, and, and we're constantly irritable and bothersome, that's not evidence of spirituality. That's evidence of pride in our life. But when it comes to the Word of God and the doctrine of the Scripture, specifically, now hear me very carefully, specifically the gospel of Jesus. Conflict is absolutely necessary. Look with me at Titus 1, and let's look at verse number 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers, vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So they of the circumcision is an evidence of their Jews, their their. Of Israelites. They're Jews by uh, descendant or nationality, but they claim to be believers in some way. Notice in verse 11 what Paul says. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be, maybe, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Now this is... A very direct passage because uh, Paul is speaking 
he is speaking in the context of false teachers. He's in the context of these Crete churches, these Cretan churches in the island of Crete where Paul has left Timothy to set some things in order and to ordain elders and to establish healthy gospel churches in this island of Crete. And these Cretans, these believers, and even, yes, some unbelievers, are starting to infiltrate the church. And they're beginning to teach dangerous doctrine. In fact, it's dangerous because mainly it's, it's false doctrine. It's false teaching. It's not scriptural teaching. And so in this, Paul says, it's important It's important that when these false teachers arise, that you have healthy pastors who can confront the false teaching. Now that matters because within the context of chapter 1, we found in verse number 6, two weeks ago when we were there, the qualifications of an elder, a pastor, an elder, a bishop who Paul, or excuse me, Titus is to be ordaining and putting them into the church. And the first word of verse 10 links verse 10 back to that whole passage on pastors and elders. That word four says, okay, because you're to ordain elders in every city, and this, this is the qualifications of these elders, these pastors, you need to understand one of the reasons you're got, you have to do so, Titus, is because there are false teachers that are in and they're teaching and their their mouths, literally Paul says, their mouths must be stopped. You've got to stop them. And so a church, a healthy church, has to have healthy leaders, elders, pastors, who know false teaching and can stop false teaching when it arises. I say it often because I feel like in, in our Sunday nights over these last couple months in the book of Jude, it's almost all about false teaching. And so I've said it many times, the importance of our day, recognizing that if Jude and, and, and Titus were dealing with false teaching, you can rest assured that 2,000 years later, false teaching is not gone. In fact, false teaching has a greater platform today because of the means of social media and, 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 and YouTube and, and you name it, the internet, all that false teaching abounds with Amazon and books and, 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 and we could keep going, <coughs> but the false teaching that is readily available today, it's one of the reasons why, uh, bear with me for a moment, it's one of the reasons why you and I need to be a part of a healthy church. It's one of the reasons why we don't just need 11 o'clock here, but we need the 10 o'clock small group Sunday school hour. We need the Wednesday night 7 o'clock hour. We need these various opportunities for the teaching that we get, the things we hear, the things that we read, the things that we're trying to process scripturally, doctrinally, theologically. What do we do with these things? And so the truth is, in a day of busyness, hear me very carefully, we have chosen to make the Lord's Day an, a, a, a possibility instead of a necessity. The word, we, we listen to the word less now than we used to because we're too busy and the danger is false teaching is abounding and good teaching is decreasing in our life. Do you hear that? That's why you need to be in a healthy 
biblical gospel teaching church. Because false teaching abounds, and that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus told us it would happen. Look in your outline there at all this. I've given you scripture here. In fact, I don't know that all of it's in there, but some of it will be on the screen. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. Paul's told the elders, the pastors in Ephesus in Acts 20. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise. These good men that Paul loved, he said, some of you guys are going to speak perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Paul told Timothy, who's a young pastor, he said in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times shall, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Peter said, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false, pro- false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with, un- with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. John said in his second epistle, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Jude told us that he, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and, to ex- and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For, there's that linking word again, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, church family, hear me very carefully. I'm extremely passionate about this. Extremely passionate about this because the best answer for false teaching is good, biblical, contextual, Jesus-exalting, scriptural teaching. The problem is there's a famine in this land for the good word of God. And unbeknownst to us, we get drawn away. We get drawn away from what the Scripture truly teaches. So the New Testament consistently exhorts readers regarding false teaching and teachers. Pastors are to be equipped to deal with this, with confronting those that teach false doctrine. This might be one of the reasons that Paul told Timothy that pastors are not to be novices. They're not to be rookies. They're not to be cutting their teeth with the word with a group of people that a pastor has to know the word. Pastors need to know the word. They need to expound the word, what it truly says, not what they want it to say, not what they think it says, but what the word actually does say. And so when that happens, hear me, a church like ours, a healthy church, grows because the more we are in the word and know the word the word ultimately grows us by the grace of God strengthens our walk with Jesus 
reminds us of who we truly are, reminds us of our, our necessity and our, and, our, and our need for the gospel in our life. If you don't believe to me, if you don't believe me, stay around churches long enough and you'll hear people who can take the word of God. And as Paul said to Titus, they can teach from the word of God commandments of men. They could take the very word of God. Why does it matter that a church teaches and why I believe the best way? Yes, this is my preferential opinion. The best way to teach the word is verse by verse through the context so that I am not here to give you the commandments of Dustin or the commandments of Ravenswood Baptist Church because that has no eternal good to your soul. I'm to teach the word of God. As it says, not as I think. And so, false teaching abounds. So we're going to see three things this morning in this text. Three things, and track with me. I'm going to move it. I'm actually going to move pretty fast. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is that these elders that are to be ordained, they're to have conflict with the divisive. Conflict with the divisive. Now, there are many people, wicked people in Crete, who, if they were to run the church, would do damage to the gospel, to, excuse me, to the, to the cause of the gospel. These wicked people seem to have their roots in Judaism. Now, there's so much there that, I, that I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to be able to pull every piece apart. I'm not going to be able to unlayer all the layers of the onion here to what it means. But if you've been here any amount of time, you've heard me use words like legalism, moralism, uh, this idea of ritualism and these things that tend to flood the church that become externally driven motivations or externally driven forms of manufactured righteousness. What was happening in the churches here, even in Crete, this small island. I mean, I, I understand it, Matt. It happens in the churches at Galatia. I understand it happens in the church at Ephesus. I understand it happens in the church at Rome. But it's happening on this little island of Crete. You say, why would that happen? Hear me very carefully. Legalism, the external appearance of righteousness and the demand for others to mark, to look the way that I expect them to mark, to, to prove they're righteous or holy, hear me, is appealing to us because it gives us, a, it gives us a system that if we check all the boxes, we now find our conscience to be good before God. On the, on the looking outwardly, what happens is legalism is appealing in a church because we tend to go, well, I'm not like that person because I don't do what they do, or I do what they don't do. And so legalism creeps in a church, and it's dangerous, and here's the danger of it. The, the, what was going on in Crete, is, it, it, it comes down, and it's still in our day. When legalism creeps into a church, there is a pushing down of the glory of the gospel of the finished work of Jesus. We diminish the weight of the cross, and exalt the achievement of man. 
We diminish the work of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, and we exalt something that I do or don't do as my standard for righteousness. But the Christian who knows the gospel knows that is not anything I did today. It's not a song I sing. It's not what I wear or, or what, I'm, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I came to church with or what I'm going to put in an offering plate or what's happened in a baptistry. None of that. It is the righteousness of Jesus alone. And so what happens if we're not careful is these kinds of things creep into a church like ours. Very easily. They become these ridiculous preferences and rituals. And, well, and, and oftentimes it comes in as, as well, you know, in the, in the church that I grew up in or the church that I got saved in, or the church, I like this church, I like how they do this, I like how that pastor does this, or I like how they have this ministry. And it becomes this divisiveness over things that are not scripturally mandated. Let me just warn you, be careful about being divisive over your preferences. Be careful about being divisive about what you simply like as opposed to what Scripture says where to be obedient. That's going on here. And so Paul tells Timothy, you've got to confront these people. You've got to confront Notice what he says there. Many unruly, vain talkers, deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, those Jews, especially of, of those that, that hold to Judaism. And they, they want to claim that, yes, it is Jesus for salvation, but it is the law for everything else. You've got to, you, you can come to Christ in faith, but ultimately you've got to become like a Jew. You've got to maintain the holidays and the, and the rituals and the dietary laws. And you've got to abstain from eating and drinking and, 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 and embracing these things. You've got to follow all these ritual laws. Because that is, the, that is the true people of God. That is the one who looks like God. And Paul says, those people, guess what, Titus? Their mouths must be stopped. They gotta be stopped. Why, do there, why does their mouth have to be stopped? Because when that happens, when you begin, okay, and I hope you hear this for about the 10,000th time over the last four years, when you add anything to the gospel, you just took away from the gospel. It has never been Jesus plus, it has always been Jesus alone. Their mouths must be stopped. Be careful reading literature. Be careful reading books that tell you that you've got to add and add and add and add and add these things, these layers. And, and boy, you've got to be this and you've got to show this and you've got to be anything that distorts the gospel. And here's how you know if it distorts the gospel. Does it become your confidence? Does it become your confidence? The Christian who knows the gospel who believes the gospel, who preaches the gospel to themselves, their confidence and their hope and their faith rest fully and only in Jesus. Their mouths must be stopped. Paul told Titus or Timothy, I love this, in 1 Timothy 1, For, from which some having swerved had turned aside unto vain jangling. They're, they're speaking things that they have no business speaking. They're babbling on. They're, these are people, these false teachers, they just, they just say things. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. 
They're vain talkers, deceivers, vain janglers. Just like in Ephesus with Timothy, the Cretan churches are dealing with with deceiving, unruly Judaizers. And they were enemies of the gospel. Paul says about these enemies of the gospel, their mouths must be stopped. He's passionate. Paul's passionate. Because Paul, Paul is a Jew. Paul saw how Judaism, how Judaism damaged the church. He saw that, listen, when legalism creeps into a church, it becomes a comparison. Everything becomes me against that other person. And the the conflict that is unhealthy comes because we live constantly looking at others instead of looking at Jesus. Don't miss that. Legalism forces me to look at myself and obsess over myself and obsess over others but does not let me obsess over Jesus. So Paul is passionate about this. He addresses it. He addresses it in his other letters. And at the end of the day, the Jesus plus something people must be stopped. Psalm 63. The king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. The reason mouths must be stopped and one day God will do just that fully is because actually Romans 3 is an indicator to us that the depravity and the wickedness and the sinfulness of man is connected to our mouths and how we speak. So God wants his people to speak his word. Elders and pastors who will speak his word will be faithful to his gospel. And to be faithful to the gospel means there will be times when myself as a pastor or other pastors in our church might have to be the ones to stand up and stop the mouth or mouths of false teachers. Do you notice to the parent in the room, to the husband in the room, to the mother in the room who prays for her children, notice what Paul says about these false teachers. They subvert whole houses. You want to see damage to your family, submit to false teaching. It's not 100% promise, but the the danger here is that those who are following these false teachers and are submitting and following false gospels and false doctrines, their whole house is being swayed and pulled aside, and there's conflict. And the word subvert literally means to bring destruction to. You want freedom for your family? Give them the word. The word. The teaching is out of line with Scripture. Their motives are wrong. We found there at the end of the passage. For filthy lucre's sake, they're they're in this. They're selling books. Right? They're TV broadcasts. It's it's laced with motives. It's motives of trying to sell money, to to make money, and to, and to, and to, to preach a false gospel that seems to sound good, and it gives us this qualification of, of, because this happened to me, I'm spiritual. Because I'm doing this, I'm spiritual. This is nothing other than a moralistic, legalistic, anti-gospel. And it must be stopped. So it's important that healthy, Christ-centered biblical elders be ordained. It's important. It's important, and I understand, 
Oftentimes my preaching, my teaching will happen in the context of there's going to come a day where you might not be sitting at this place. And by the way, it's highly possible that one day this place, one day this place might be a place where somebody's mouth has to be stopped. But it's possible you'll end up at another church and you will need to be attentive to the message of the gospel. Where is the preacher trying to give you confidence in yourself? Or in Jesus? Is he preaching what the word says? Or what seems to be interesting and cute and funny and full of great stories? That's all got its place. But the word of God has never been any of ours to change. So biblical elders must be ordained. Secondly, conflict, not only conflict with the divisive, conflict with the deceived. Titus goes on, Paul goes on to Titus, excuse me, and says, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. I always get a kick out of that. Paul then goes on to say, this witness is true. That guy was right. Paul is referring back to, I told you a couple weeks ago, to Epimendes, who is a 6th century B.C. poet who's from the island of Crete. He referred to the Cretans as being liars and deceivers. They're always manipulating out on the seas. They're kind of pirates, if you will. They're, they're just terrible people who, uh, who are constantly taking things for gain. And they're evil beasts. Literally, he calls them animals. The way they live, they're just animals. Slow bellies. And seems to be an interesting phrase. Slow bellies refers to, specifically here, it refers to the idea of absolute laziness they're lazy people who want to eat and drink and do nothing they're partying and they're just abusing their bodies Paul says yeah I've witnessed this that guy was right (laughs) so he goes on to say rebuke them rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. So he tells Titus, there's an, it's necessary. It's necessary for rebuke to happen. It's amazing that in our day, that in our day, we've, many of us have been in churches a long time where maybe rebuke was constant. And so we don't want to be rebuked. We're not willing to let somebody tell us that that's biblically wrong. But a healthy church... And healthy pastors will, yes, rebuke false teaching in a church. Rebuke them. Who is them? Well, I would argue because a healthy congregation is what is the theme here. That I believe that what Paul is saying is that the congregation at time might need to be rebuked for adhering to false teaching. This would not and should not be the norm in a church, but it is absolutely necessary at times. Why? Well, Paul tells Titus why. And you need to know why. Why it is okay for a church where sometimes rebuking might happen. It is because we may be sound in the faith. Can you believe that rebuke and rebuking is to be a part of Correcting. We do that as parents often. 
We say to our child, as I feel like I've said too many times in 13 years of parenting, why do you think that if you skip brushing your teeth, you'll have never have to go to the dentist? Rebuking a thought to bring back to the truth. Rebuking an action that is contrary to the truth. And so these people, these believers that are here, that are hearing this false teaching, they are beginning to adhere, they're beginning to follow, they're beginning to subscribe to this kind of thinking. They're reading the books, they're hearing the podcast, they're seeing the YouTube, the YouTube video, they're seeing all this, they're sharing it on Facebook, man, and it sounds good. It's this big church pastor who says things well, and boy, he says it, and he's, he looks good saying it all, but at the end of the day, a rebuking is often necessary. I heard a pastor recently, a big, big church pastor, and boy, he sounded really good in the three-minute clip on Facebook when he said, some of y'all been fighting your Goliath for years. It's time for you to throw the stone and kill your Goliath. And everybody's sharing it and go, man, just kill your Goliath. And deal the death blow to Goliath. Can I just tell you something? You are not David. And your boss is not Goliath. Your problem is not Goliath. Don't miss that, okay? The Goliath and the David Goliath, the picture is pointing us to a greater David who deals with a giant that none of you can kill and I can't kill. And so what happens is we moralize these stories to become we need the encouragement to be a David to go tackle our Goliath and kill him and cut his head off. And Jesus is our David. You're not, and I'm not. But man, it sounds good on a clip. And we buy into this kind of stuff. My job as a pastor, one of my jobs as a pastor is to help this church be sound in the faith. To not draw you to fables and commandments of men. To not draw you to these, these teachers and preachers that are giving you prosperity gospel theology trash. But are deepening your confidence in the faith of the gospel. Deceived. You say, Pastor, how do I know? Well, we're going to get there in just a moment. How do I know if who I'm listening to? How do I know if that clip that I liked on Facebook? How do I know if that's biblical? We'll get there. Stay with me. Number three, lastly, conflict with the defiled. So we got the divisive, we got the deceived, we got the defiled. He says, he goes on to say, and this is important because this becomes a passage taken out of context. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient. And unto every good work reprobate. Now stay with me. This text gives us the importance of sound gospel doctrine and action and belief. Paul gives a little proverb here. Unto the pure, all things are pure. Now this is a little heavy for a moment, so stay with me and listen closely, all right? Poke yourself, pinch yourself, do what you got to do to wake up and hear this. These Jewish teachers 
were teaching these fables and teaching these things that they ought not. And it was coming out like this, all right? Here's how it was coming out. Yes, you're saved by Jesus and you're made clean by Jesus, but if you eat something that is ritually unclean, you are made dirty. So, yes, you're saved by Christ, but even what you eat can make you dirty. And so Paul says, no, no, stop that. All things are ritually pure. This is literally what he's saying. All things are ritually pure. All things are okay to eat. All things are okay to those that have been made morally pure by Christ. We're not put under the Jewish ceremonial law, forced to be Jewish. And the point here is not about eating and drinking, although there's a point to that. I gave you a passage there, 1 Timothy chapter 4, that God has given us good things to enjoy. God has given us things that are for our delighting. God is giving us things and given us things for our enjoyment in this created world. But hear me very carefully. The point is this. It is not what you don't eat that keeps you clean, and it is not what you eat that makes you dirty. It is Jesus who makes us clean. And if Jesus can make you clean, you're not put under the legalistic, ritualistic demands of a law that tell you if you do this, you're now dirty. Paul remarks to the Colossian Christians, it's appropriate here, when he says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come but the bodies of Christ. Now stop here for a moment and just hear me, okay? You say, what does this have to do with anything? Actually, a lot. Healthy Christians are not constantly imposing their preferential regulations on Christians as a sign of spiritual maturity. I'll say that again. Healthy Christians are not imposing food, diet regulations, ritualistic regulations on Christians as a sign of spiritual maturity. It is not, you, you're not spiritually mature because there are things in your life that you abstain from while there might be things that others in this room don't abstain from. The truth is this. It is all of Jesus. I like what Philip Towner said. Purity that counts only comes, comes only, excuse me, purity that counts comes only through faith in Christ. I assure you of this, when you stand before the Lord one day, He will not say to you, I accept you. You are mine because you kept this ritual. He will only say, you're accepted because of the finished work of Jesus. Here's what mature and maturing Christians will do. He will see all things that God has given him for his enjoyment. Stay with me. I want you to hear me, okay? Every person, listen very closely. A mature and maturing Christian will see all things that God has given for his enjoyment and will seek to use or not use them in a manner which leads to increased faith and satisfaction in Jesus. It's important. I'll say it again. Maturing Christians see all that God has given them for their enjoyment, and they will seek to use or not use 
in a manner which leads to increased faith and satisfaction in Jesus. It refers us back to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 10. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. The point is, what Paul is saying there is, there are things that are lawful for you to enjoy. There are things that you can absolutely enjoy today that have been given to you by God. And you might go, well, I enjoy them and others don't. Who's right and who's wrong? Or they enjoy and I don't. They eat this and I don't. I eat this and they don't. I do this and they don't. The point is this. Paul says, all things are lawful for me. I'm not under the, under the law of that. But all things are not expedient. They're not best for me. And all things are lawful for me. But all things edify not means they don't all build me up. So a mature Christian can go, that might be lawful for me, but I don't need that. I'm free to say no to that. Because it pulls me away from Jesus. The mature Christian also says, I'm free to enjoy it, and that thing is something that encourages me to walk with Jesus. This is where the, the idea of standards come in and your family, your life, you might have some certain standards that you, things you do or don't do and your family does and doesn't do and that's fine. Doesn't mean every family is bound to those same standards. The mature Christian does not force those things on every believer. We hold to what the scripture clearly says. Now, he goes on to say and I conclude He says, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you abstain from if you're not made clean by Jesus. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of diet you hold to if if you've not placed your faith in Christ. It doesn't matter what kind of things in your life you you keep out and, and, and push aside if you've not grasped and grabbed a hold of the need to come to Christ in faith. And then he goes on and finishes here in verse 16. He says, they profess that they know God. But in works they deny him being an abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. Simply put, Paul says that these false teachers, they profess to know God, but their works they deny him. They trust in their own works. They trust in their own wisdom. They trust in their own righteousness. They by their lives deny the God they profess to know. By their man-centered humanistic message that focuses on what they can do, they make an idol of themselves. In the process, they deny the truth of Scripture. They question the sinfulness of man. They cheapen the cross. They slight the Holy Spirit. They construct their own false system of salvation. Paul brings it all to light. He exposes the real underlying problem. He says they're abominable. A term that reflects God's attitude toward idolatry. They're disobedient or rebellious. Their way and their agenda took precedence over God's. And then he uses a word that seems to be a a unique word in Scripture. They're reprobate to every good work. Literally reprobate means they're unfit, they're worthless, rejected. Unto any good work, that means it doesn't matter what good work they do. They're unfit. They're unfit as pastors. They're unfit as preachers. They're unfit as teachers. They're unfit even as They're an unbeliever. Put to the test, they failed. So how do we conclude? Well, let me remind you, the church needs qualified elders. Elders that can lead the charge with good doctrine against bad doctrine. 
The church also needs believers. It also needs believers that are committed, that they understand that the most important part of their life is the intake of the Word of God. See, that seems very pointed. It's extremely pointed. The intake of the Word of God. Judaism is not our issue. But legalism and moralism is a big problem in our day. Now I conclude, hear me very carefully. A healthy church is clear on the true gospel. A healthy church makes much of the gospel, not the commandments and rituals and traditions of a church or a person. It's vitally important that when you come to church, that when I preach or somebody else preaches or teaches the word of God, that we unmuddy and that we endeavor to unmuddy the water of what is the gospel and what does the gospel produce in my life. So I must be clear this morning. This is the gospel. The gospel is that God created you. He created you and I. And God as our creator deserved our absolute service, thankfulness, affection, honor. But you and I sinned and we cut ourselves off from God. We lived as enemies to God. We were rebels against God. We lived contrary to the God that created us that deserved our gratitude. And because of that, God sends Jesus to the earth. And he comes and he separates himself humanly from the Father. He comes in the incarnation. He lives sinlessly. He lives as a friend of God, not as an enemy like us. And Jesus fully satisfies the demands of a holy God. He dies on a cross in our place. The death that enemies should have died. Christ became the enemy for us. Then he went into the grave. Three days later, being raised again from the dead, Christ conquered the death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. This is the gospel. This is the offense of Christianity that you cannot rescue yourself from your sins. You cannot. Only Jesus can. To the Christian in here, this is the gospel for you. Jesus didn't rescue you for you to go on and be the hero of the story. Jesus rescued you so now your entire life can be lived through the strength of the hero of the story, and that is Jesus. That's the gospel for a believer. So here's the question. Do I grasp false teaching and false gospels when I hear them? If it's not by grace through faith, it's a false gospel. Am I praying for spiritual leaders in my life to be faithful to stop false doctrine and false teachers? Here's a good question regarding the things that are pure. Have I allowed the good things that God has given me to pull me away from growing in grace? Do I seek through my lifestyle a deep independence on Christ? Or do I depend on something else in my lifestyle? And lastly, is my faith fully resting in the finished work of Christ? Do I find myself being swayed by religious rituals and legalism? A healthy church, healthy pastors, healthy congregation. We hear, the, we hear false gospels, we hear false doctrines, and we can identify it as such. A healthy church has leaders who are willing to stop it. 
They're willing to speak up. They're willing to say that's a false gospel. Simply put, at the end of the day, my desire when you come in here every Sunday morning is that you would know the word. That you would hear it and know it. Number two, it's that you would leave, and I know this sounds so harsh, with no confidence in your flesh and full confidence in Jesus. My job is not to be a psychologist. My job is not to play with your thought processes. My job is to give you the truth. To tell you that if you could have saved yourself, you could have tried. Good luck. You could have saved yourself, maybe you would have. But you couldn't. And so we come to Christ in faith and our Christian life begins the journey of walking with Christ in that same faith. That's it. Paul says, healthy conflict's going to be necessary. Be ready. Be ready. It's coming. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.